episode number 221 of the Emotionally Equipped for Life podcast. Hi, this is Shira Gura. Welcome to my podcast. I am on a mission to get people emotionally equipped. I created two powerful mindset tools that guide you step-by-step to get unstuck and get clear so you can live a life of calm, ease, and flow. I am the author of two award-winning books, Getting Unstuck, Five Simple Steps to Emotional Well-Being, and The Clear Way, Five Simple Steps to Be Mentally Prepared for Anything. You can learn more about these books and more by heading over to my website, shiragora.com. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me today, and now for today's episode. Hello, my dear listeners, and thank you so much for joining me today. So I have a difficult story to share with you. Some of the stories I share on this podcast are light and humorous, and others are heavy and serious. And that's what life is about, is it not? It's not always fun and games. Sometimes we need to go through some heavy or difficult times in order to get through the other side of those experiences. But hopefully, if you are emotionally equipped, you can do that with a sense of calm, ease, and flow. So let me share this story with you. A few days ago, I received a WhatsApp video, which was a snippet from a local news TV show showing two men who were brutally attacked with knives while at the beach here in Israel. These two men were actually brothers around the ages of 18 and 20, and they actually lived down the road from where I live in a village called Bir al-Maksul. Their names are Muhammad and Amal Diab, and they happen to be Bedouin, and they happen to serve in the Israeli Defense Forces, but they weren't on duty at the time. While the attackers have yet to be caught, it's understood that the two men who attacked these brothers spoke Hebrew. That is to say, the evidence that we have as of now points to the fact that this was most likely a hate crime, that these brothers were speaking Arabic and the attackers heard them speaking Arabic and stabbed them in their heads and all over their bodies and beat them with iron chains simply because they are Arabs. They were slashed repeatedly, and they were in the hospital for a week. They're now recovering, both emotionally and physically, at home. So I received this WhatsApp video, which was sent to my entire community, and I clicked on it to see what the video was about. And I was quite horrified. While there weren't many more details other than what I already shared with you, Just the mere fact that citizen against citizen was enough to turn my stomach. For those of you who don't know, Israel is made up of a variety of people, including people who are Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Bedouin, Druze, Baha'i, and more. The Bedouins are a subgroup within the Arab minority. They make up about 3% of the Israeli population. Historically, They've been nomadic tribes, and they have a deep loyalty to whatever land they live in. One of the most sensitive issues for the Bedouin minority is the army service. 
In Israel, the Jewish citizens, both men and women, are obligated to do a two-and-a-half-year army service. My daughter actually is going to be enlisted in just a few weeks. Israeli apps, on the other hand, are exempt. But since the beginning of the State of Israel, a significant number of Bedouin have traditionally volunteered to serve in the IDF as a sign of their loyalty to the country. Not that any of that really matters, to be honest. Such hate crimes are beyond approach. The attackers should be held accountable, although it seems that they have yet to be found. So a couple of days ago, I joined a group of Jewish people from the area who went to visit these two young men and their family. It was a difficult but really important visit. The two men said they cried out to the attackers in Hebrew that they're soldiers serving in the IDF, but the violent youth did not care. During the visit, the parents of the two boys sat quietly in tears while family and friends more fluent in Hebrew spoke with the group on their behalf and translated what was being said in Hebrew into Arabic. After some relatives spoke, our group was asked to introduce ourselves one by one and tell them where you know we come from and anything else that we wanted to share. And this is where I started to get stuck because I'm not a big fan of these sharing circle things. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I tend to be quiet and I don't like the attention being on me when it comes to social events like this. So the sharing began and I immediately felt a sense of relief when I realized I was going to be one of the last ones to share, which meant I had some time to prepare. (laughs) I'm just really not good with these spontaneous moments of sharing. I always feel like I talk for too long or I say the wrong thing or I sound stupid. Definitely stuck thoughts worth investigating into for sure. Anyway, so while I was being attentive and I was listening when the others were sharing, I also noticed myself getting nervous and I decided to use my tools to get me through this difficult moment as I know I can't always depend on my mind because my mind often works against me in situations like this, just like it does for you. But I can always use my tools because the tools work when you use them. So I decided to use CLEAR because I was going into a future moment. The CLEAR way is really best to use for such a purpose. And the UNSTUCK method is best to use when you are stuck on something that already happened in the far or immediate past. So see, I got calm. I sat in my seat and I took some deep, mindful breaths. L for lighten. I uncovered the thoughts that were swimming in my head, like, I know I'm going to sound and look stupid. And I lightened that to, I might sound stupid and I may not. And that was it for that step. I didn't need to go any further. As long as I stayed in that place of curiosity with how I was going to look, I was really able to move on to the next step. E for expect. I hoped I would come across being articulate. As Hebrew is not my first language, nor is Hebrew their first language. And I also hoped that my words would really connect with them and that it would make some sort of impact on this family. 
A, accept. I radically accepted the possibility that I would not come across articulate and that my words would have no impact. I accepted this in advance so that if it came to fruition, I wouldn't get stuck because I already accepted it in advance. And then finally, R, I decided to take responsibility for being loving. To me, a loving person speaks from her heart. And in fact, a loving person doesn't even have to use words to necessarily show her love. And it was in that moment of realization that I decided when it was my turn to speak, I would do something a bit out of the ordinary. I would get up and walk over to the mother and give her a hug. The thought of this was a bit uncomfortable for me and a little bit daring, but I committed to being loving and so I decided that's what I was going to do. So when my turn came, I said, Ismi Shira, I am Shira in Arabic. Anasakni bechanaton, I live in Khanaton. And that was the extent of my Arabic after having taken only six introductory classes so far. So instead of going on with words, I simply said, may I hug the mother? The mom was sitting on the other side of the circle for me slightly behind the row of men in front of her. So I got up and I walked towards her, but she signaled with her hands that she didn't want a hug. And I didn't know what to do because I was committed to being loving and I wanted to give her a hug. And so I gave her the benefit of the doubt that what she meant was that she didn't want to get up from her chair and hug me like that. So I asked again with my hands, may I hug you? And I didn't get a clear response, to be honest. So I bent down and I just gave her a hug. And at first it felt a little awkward because she didn't react and she didn't hug me back, but I didn't move. I just stayed there and committed to being loving. And then all of a sudden she started to whimper and the whimpers turned into a light cry. And then she really just gave herself permission to let it all out. And while the initial hug was very one-sided at first, she suddenly reciprocated and hugged me back. And I just stayed hugging her. She wasn't letting go, so I didn't initiate the end of the hug. It felt like a long time that we were hugging. And while at one point I did have an awkward thought that the entire circle was just staring at us, maybe even uncomfortably staring at us, I let go of that thought because I had committed to being loving. And so I stayed in integrity with who I said I was going to be. I actually started tearing up as I continued to hug this mother, thinking about my own daughter, who's about to enlist in a few weeks, and my son, who's going to enlist in a few years. What she was going through was simply unimaginable to me. After several minutes, the embrace ended, and I walked back to my seat. And I felt good about what I did, even though it felt awkward. And what made me feel even better was seeing that my small gesture opened her up to receiving more embraces from some of the other women present. Because once the sharing circle was over and people started to get ready to leave, one of my friends went over to the mother as well and she placed her arm around her 
while the mother stayed seated in her chair. The mother buried her face in my friend's belly, and she wouldn't let go. That is the mother. While it was incredibly painful to watch, I felt so grateful that she had an outlet to release her pain and her anger and her frustration. And I truly, truly hope that she started to feel not alone in this situation. I have to say, there were a lot of men at this event, and there was a lot of talking, which can be wonderful and positive, but sometimes, just sometimes, no words are necessary. And a simple embrace or a hug or even the touch of a hand can be more powerful than the best spoken words. So my dear friends, when was the last time you had to enter into an uncomfortable situation like the one I did? And where may you consider taking responsibility for being loving, even if it means going out of your comfort zone? What would that look like for you? I would love to hear from you if you do this. Okay, my dear friends, the doors to the Emotionally Equipped Journey are now open. It will begin in September and run for six weeks. This course offers you an opportunity to go live with me every week for six weeks and do a deep dive into these powerful tools that teach you how to get unstuck and how to get clear so that you can lead a life of calm and ease and flow. You can't always depend on your own mind as it sometimes plays tricks on you and sometimes it works against you, but you can always depend on your tools. I'm offering an early bird discount now, so if you'd like to join me on the next journey, contact me via my website as soon as possible. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me today, wishing you a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, I look forward to getting emotionally equipped with you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Emotionally Equipped for Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to start applying these tools to your own life, I invite you to check out the Emotionally Equipped Journey, my six-week course that offers you the opportunity to study these tools and engage live with me so you can learn to embody these tools and go on living your life with a sense of calm, ease, and flow. When you complete the journey, you are invited to join my inner circle to receive ongoing support and inspiration with using these tools in your life. Head over to my website, shiragora.com for more information. I look forward to starting this journey with you.